Hola, mis amigos, and bienvenidos a Bodywood. Hello and welcome everybody to episode 5 of Pottywood. It is a podcast where we talk about movies with people that make movies. I am Steve Hester, your ever so genial host, and with me as always is... That would be me, writer-director Andrew Carson. Welcome to Pottywood episode 5, Assignment Miami Beach. Oh god, you had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> well, I didn't want to do the final frontier, but I thought I'd jazz it up a bit. Well yeah, because we did a voyage home last week. Was it Voyage Home? Yes, it was a yeah, Voyage was Home a last week. A voyage Home, yeah. I, I forget after we do them. But the assignment Miami Beach thing will have a little bit of play on later. Yes, it will. Uh, so we usually get some really, really good guests in. Last week we had uh, Gillian Hutchings, one of the uh, the most important editors in Hollywood. And it's even more important to get a name right, isn't it, Steve? Yes, it is, because I was... Uh, I... You tit. I, I actually got her name right this week when she wasn't here. Um, but uh, last week she gave us uh, a little mini assignment to watch Nightcrawler, uh, as well as our What's in the Box entry of A Mighty Heart, which we'll get onto in a minute. Uh, unfortunately, Gillian, I didn't manage to get round to watching Nightcrawler. But I do want to watch it, so if you're listening to this, I am going to watch it. I promise, I promise, I promise. I am going to get round to it. No, that's gospel, plus I've put it in the box just in case. Yes, so I'm doubly covered. Let's just jump into last week's uh, What's in the Box. I do know that some people who actually listened last week also watched A Mighty Heart last night. Ooh, did they? Tell me who. Well, that'd be Neil. But I'm sure other people did as well. <laughs> so, in getting to it last week, obviously it is the true story of Marianne Pearl. Mm-hmm. I got the name right this week. I yep. did my research. Uh, but it's not about me, because I've already seen it. Steve. Yes. Tell us about A Mighty Heart. Okay, well, like Andy said, it is uh, a true story about a lady called Marianne Pearl, and her husband, Daniel Pearl, gets kidnapped while two are acting as investigative journalists in Pakistan just after the end of the Second Gulf War. And effectively, the whole movie is its kind of a slow burn it's all presented very, very realistically, and it's detailing the investigation into his abduction. And uh, if you watch the movie on Prime, like I did last night, then uh, it also gives the ending away on the description screen. Well done, Prime. Yeah. Uh, well, as you're here for spoilers, if well, actually, no, if you don't want to listen for spoilers, then just skip forward a few minutes and you'll be fine. Sadly, Daniel was killed by his captors he was unfortunately beheaded and that built towards one of the one of the most gut-wrenching scenes of the movie is when uh, Marianne who's played by Angelina Jolie very well by Angelina Jolie looks very much like the real life Marianne uh, is told of his uh, of his death and she just goes into the bedroom after walking through very very quietly and then just screams and it's a proper howl of pain and heartbreak it It really really is it's absolutely gut-wrenching just to hear someone just in that much real pain but he was directed by uh michael winterbottom uh who i think many people in the uk will probably know from the the movie nine songs yes for completely different reasons (laughs) there's a a good story that i will tell uh, in regards to the first time i saw that in a packed uh, movie theater with all the other students stu- studying film. Was there a guy uh, at the back with a Macintosh cover in his lap again? <laughs> no, not this time. It was just me. Um, the way it's filmed, it reminds me a lot of the way uh, Paul Greengrass does his film. It's it's very fly on the wall style. In fact, for a while, I actually thought it was uh, a Paul Greengrass style. Mm. You know, kind of like a United ninety three and and stuff like that. It is very um, as if you're witnessing the kind of events, almost like a, a newsreel, and I guess maybe that's from Michael Winterbottom's background. But yeah, it's uh, it's a really powerful film. It is a slow burner. Performances make it stand out the most. Yeah, definitely. Led, of course, by Angelina Jolie, which I think at the time was a very controversial casting. Yeah, apparently. Well, there was there were some issues about um, about her being cast, and then effectively darkening up. Uh, for the role, which the the real Marianne actually spoke out on and said that she had absolutely no problem with with her in the role. But you know, you were saying about the the visual style it is very much 
a sense of being this this fly on the wall of this horrible event that's unfolding. Uh, there's not really that much that actually happens with Angelina Jolie's character in terms of action. A lot of it is about her investigating it. Uh, but one thing that it did remind me of was uh, the movie In the Loop, the TV yeah. series The Thick of It. I was just thinking of that a moment ago. I, was, I almost mentioned it when I was saying about the Paul Greengrass style. There was certain parts of it earlier on which just reminded me so, so much of uh, In the Loop, which was, uh, which was, if you haven't seen it, it's based on the British TV series The Thick of It, which is a big political comedy starring, um, oh God, what's his name? The guy who played Doctor Who. That's Dr. the one. Uh, Peter Capaldi. Peter, pa- Peter Capaldi, yes. Can't believe I blanked on that. No, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. I thought it was a good film. I thought the performances were great. And it was one of those real tension-filled moments, particularly towards the end. Yes, yeah, so I feel sorry for anyone who thought, oh, you know, Angelina Jolie in this movie about terrorists, this has got salt written all over it or something like that. No, not no, at all. No, it doesn't. This is real serious uh, serious acting. Mm. The acting carries this movie. So if you enjoy it, we're glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah. But moving on. Yes, let's get move into on, sir. Uh, the segment that was really well well respected last week, which was talking about the anniversaries of movies that are currently falling on this week. We need a music cue for this, don't we? We do. go with the rest of the show. But yes, we I'm do. ready. We need to talk to someone about that. We're going to start here. 35 years ago this week, Sylvester Stallone was Cobra. <laughs> Cobra! <laughs> The most terrible but enjoyable movie I think I have ever seen in my life. This has got stunt work all over it. So I'd be interested to find our guest's take on Cobra celebrating its anniversary. The one franchise that Stallone could not get a sequel to in the 80s. Didn't I hear that um, Cobra was his take on Beverly Hills Cop? Because he was originally down as Axel Foley part and then it got canned and he ended up uh, thinking well no um sylvester stallone i believe turned down beverly hills cop to do cobra because he thought it was going to be you know the the better project to do any action hero with the name of marion <laughs> marion cobretti you don't get those type of names in movies anymore no, no there's only the duke that could get away with that that this guy pisses testosterone you know <laughs> it is practically muscles come out of him uh, at every turn and he doesn't even talk that much he is just you know it's playing on that clint eastwood bravado you know the macho man of, of the 80s was it crime is the disease meet the meet cure, the cure. <laughs> it's just uh i i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna start on cobra because it's one of those no. just really really just it, it it belongs in the 80s it does it, it does. is it is so 80s in just its general attitude that it's not, yeah Carry on. What else have we got? <laughs> okay. 20 years ago today, right? And I did see this in the theatres while I was waiting for um, another movie to start because I had two hours to spare. So I went to see this movie. 20 years ago this week, The Muppet Treasure Island was released. <laughs> I can dig that. It's not as good as Muppet's Christmas Carol, but. I know. It was the the movie after a Muppet Christmas Carol, and that's a that's a hard movie to follow. But this movie had Tim Curry as Long John Silver, and reinforced the proof that every movie that Billy Connolly is in, he dies in. Yes, he does. The only character to die in a Muppet movie. <laughs> He's him and John Bean are the two people that have to die in everything. Yes. Ah, no, tell a lie. No, he he didn't die in The Hobbit. I'd forgotten he was in The Hobbit. Yes, he played Dane Ironfoot in The Hobbit, which we'll probably be getting onto later as well with our special guest. Exactly, but Muppet Treasure Island, guilty pleasure. Yeah, it is. It's it's, it's, enjoy- it's a Disney movie. You can probably see it on Disney Plus now, I'm guessing. Also, something that you could probably find on Disney Plus is something that is celebrating its 15-year anniversary. And I'm sure you're going to be very vocal about this, Steve. It's the 15-year anniversary of X-Men The Last Stand. Yay. <laughs> That's yeah. that's the correct response for that film, isn't it? Yay! In comparison to the last two X Men movies that were released, this film was a classic. Okay, right. I I have the same issue with pretty much every single X Men movie in that I watch it, I go, yeah, I enjoyed that, and then I immediately forget all about it. 
and it has been every single one, up to and including Logan. I, there's something about them which just doesn't make me want to come back to it, and The Last Stand just had that in spades. Yeah, The la- the Last Stand is a very kind of weird monster. I did go and see this at the theatres as well when it was released. Kelsey Grammer as Beast. I can't decide whether this was a, a great thing. The voice and the acting is perfect, but there's mm-hmm. something about seeing Frasier doing action scenes that just just did not gel. But the standout thing for X-Men The Last Stand that notches it hugely into the bracket of classic for me is Vinnie Jones. <laughs> oh, God. I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Ah, uh, Vinnie. Absolute genius. And uh, I'm, I'm, our guest has had a, a bit of experience with um, Vinnie Jones on a movie set as well, which I'm hoping we will, we, we will talk about. Uh, but let's talk about, or rather not talk about, what celebrates its 10-year anniversary to me, um, The Hangover Part 2. Uh, you see, I saw the first one, and that was enough. The first one is... It's acceptable. I like the first one. Uh, but did it need to be stretched over three movies? No. 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 Come on. I mean, seriously, if you forget your nights out on that many occasions, then surely there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so, yes, uh, Hangover Part 2 uh, is 10 years old this week. I didn't even so, think the first one was that funny. No, it was acceptable. Yeah. It was it was a it was a, a good idea. It was a decent movie, but it was a you know, film. It it was a film. Anyway, now that we've got that out of the way, yes, let's talk about our guest for this week. Tell us who our guest is, please, Andrew. Okay, well, guys, it takes a special kind of man to put himself in danger for the sake of entertainment, and that's coming from a man who once accepted a dare from Sam Jones to place a toothpick laced with the bomb sauce on his tongue. Steve was there also, and he yeah, did it. I did it no. as well. That was not pleasant. Exactly. But when you make a friend in this business who sets himself on fire, uh, falls off tall buildings fearlessly, gets run over, runs people over, uh, basically does everything you see in the opening of The Fall Guy, sometimes in just one week on the job, you know you either have an extremely cool friend or one that's batshit crazy, maybe a bit of both. So after I first met our guest, Nick Schodel. I checked out one of his older showreels. I saw him popping a wheelie on a motorcycle for what felt like an entire minute. Now, I once popped a wheelie for five seconds on a BMX bike and collided with an old man leaving Martin McCall's. Right? Nick Schodel is a big production stunt performer, stunt rigger, fight choreographer, stunt coordinator. Originally from Australia, where we join him currently. He's been called on to work on a number of huge blockbusters in his career, including uh, Wonder Woman, the Mission Impossible franchise, Angel Has Fallen, uh, Men in Black, Cats, yes, Cats, and of course, the upcoming Fast and Furious 9 released, is it later this month or next month? I can't remember. But anyway, Nick, how the devil are you down under? I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty well for, uh, for a Wednesday night, so my time. How are you guys? Oh, we're fine. It's, well... It- yeah, you're about uh, what is that? About nine hours ahead. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm sitting here, stayed up with a cup of tea, and it's ten p.m. at the moment, so it's all good. Okay, so Nick, uh, naturally, when we leg stunts in Australia, it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, obviously, with the uh, infamous Mad Max franchise that got every kid like me structuring car chases with a crate of Matchbox cars. But uh, for a performer in stunt work. Uh, I guess, where does that kind of inspiration come for a young Nick growing up down under? I mean, it was kind of weird for me, uh, to be honest. I grew up in a town called Cairns, far away from Hollywood as you'll get. My house backed onto a rainforest and I'd just run through the forest all the time, being an idiot, climbing up trees, jumping off them, all that sort of stuff. But there was a, a Japanese fisherman who settled in Cairns in the 70s and he did uh, karate. So I started karate with him from a very early age and I thought it was quite authentic because it was a little bit Miyagi the way that a Japanese fisherman just decided to jump off his boat and teach um, karate and then I also had a, um, a real passion for films and so every weekend I'd be watching action movies and then just being an idiot kicking trees and jumping off them in the forest into creeks and then it all kind of yeah, and then I found myself on a film set. 
So what kind of movies was it that you were watching at the time? You know, was it uh, was it all those old uh, old 80s films? Was it all kind of like the 90s Michael Bay stuff? What was it that actually was tickling your fancy? I'm a little bit older than the Michael Bay generation, although obviously for action you've got to love his work. But yeah, I was a typical 80s martial arts kid, so I was, I was watching all the Van Dams and the Dolph Lundgrens and... Um, I was a massive Eddie Murphy fan, so all the Beverly Hills cops, just basically anything from the 80s where they just shoot them up, the cops versus the bad guys. I thought every cop in LA just had a had a license to blow up any building they wanted to if they thought <laughs> someone stole a pint of milk. <laughs> Notice that, not one American Ninja reference in there, which is what you expect every stuntman to kind of uh, throw into the pile Dude, of 80s movies. If, if you if you rewatch American Ninja now, we did it when I was um, when I was in a live stunt show, and we were getting all nostalgic because we'd all had a similar background. We had a we went through a phase where we'd be like, okay, tomorrow everyone bring in their favorite '80s like terrible action movie. The part where he jumps the motorcycle over the uh, over the fence. There's no down ramp on that puppy. You see him do this really sweet jump over this fence and then just bottom out on this, one of the harshest motorbike landings that I've ever seen because, yeah, no down ramp is just flat onto the ground. It's hardcore. You know, like, you do stuff like that nowadays, but it's so funny to look back on and think, like, at the time, you thought that it was just the most incredible thing you've ever seen and now you, you watch it and you're like, oh, my God. That was just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know how hard it is to kind of uh, break into the business. And we, me and Steve know both as writers and me with directing and him with acting on his part. But stunt work's the part of the business where it literally takes killing yourself to get into the business. So uh, how, do you, how did you fall into it? Was it literally? I did, yeah, I just literally uh, fell into it. When I left school, I got into security work and I just kind of drifted. But I was competing a lot internationally for karate. And um, I went to a tournament down in Sydney and there was a group of stunt guys competing as well at the tournament. And as well, we had some send-off there and one of them was uh, conducted by Richard Norton. You know, I had a bit of a chat with Richard and he was like, you know, you could do stunt work as a career. And we, we had a little chat about it, and then I went back up to Cairns. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll look into that. And then I moved to the Gold Coast, because that was the closest film sort of hub for me. And, yeah, literally then I just fell into it. You've been working for years. We've gone down through a list of some of the, the movies that you've worked on, and some big movies, uh, including uh, one which actually you know, surprisingly got me through uh, lockdown last year, which was The Hobbit movies. I don't care what anyone says, I like those films. Uh but there must be something that you've uh, seen on set or that you've been asked to do that you've just taken one look at and just gone, oh, no, I'm not going anywhere near that. To be honest, that hasn't happened for me yet because it's more a case of, you know, people get asked to do the things that they're strong at. And I've only really ever been asked to do things that are, are within my comfort level or are things that I've had the strength to do. One thing that I would kind of always hand over to someone else would be horses because with horses, like, you have to know those animals inside and out. You grew up with horses. You're either a horse person or you're not. You can't learn horses later in life. I've got some friends that are some of the top horse people in the world and these are the guys that will stand riding two horses, one foot on each bareback and jump a car. And I've, and I've literally seen a guy do that. So I, I would never wow. put my hand up for anything with horses. Wow. So, I, I mean, I recall uh, you did some work on, uh, I think it was the early WWE movies that they started pushing out. I think it was like 2005. Uh, notably, The Marine, the original first Marine starring John Cena. And uh, The Condemned, that was directed by a good friend of mine, Scott Wiper. They were the first ventures into movies for both John Cena and Steve Austin. So both being wrestlers, were they easier to kind of understand the whole process of the stunt work involved when they did it themselves? Yeah, they definitely were. John Cena, when he started doing the Marine, he was very keen to obviously put his all into it. And he was doing a particular stunt when the fuel station blows up, when he was inside the yeah. fuel station at the start of the film. 
and he was doing what's called a dead man when you're in a harness and you've got a line tied off to something and you basically just run and when you hit the end of that line you ain't going no further that's going to snap you back and you hit the ground and um, the line that we're using has a braking strain of one and a half ton and I swear he came so close to snapping it just because he was running so fast with so much power and I've never heard a crack like that in a line with someone doing a dead man before like the amount of force that boy can generate is just ridiculous you know these guys that are invested in the physicality of the action like people who have backgrounds in wrestling or uh you know like jason statham used to do a lot of fighting before he got into acting so these people invest a lot more than you know your typical cast member would and you know the results that they help you get um show well okay well talking of um cast members if you've got someone like like you've just said with uh, John Cena, uh, I'd, I'd actually love to see a movie with him and the Predator because you wouldn't be able to see either of them. Um, but you've also worked with, with people like Tom Cruise. Now, he is notorious for being the kind of person that will put his own neck on the line for doing big stunts. How many, how many, how many other people have you seen that have kind of come up to that level that willingness to put themselves on the line who isn't trained the same way that uh, someone from the wwe might have been there's been a lot too many to count but some more known names than others you know i've i've worked with uh, henry cavill and he's got that same sort of driver's time to make his performance and the action as authentic as possible so he will he will work hard and he will come to you and say, you know, let's do more sword stuff. Let me get this sword 100%. We've done some pretty big rigs with Henry and we've done some really big ratchets with him. He doesn't shy away from things at all. And then even on smaller things like with casts that aren't big names, they, you know, they'll want to jump in and kind of do a performance that is a little bit more them taking a risk but on the other hand sometimes you know it's our job to risk on set as much as an actor might be keen to do their own stunt we have to assess them and know when the risk is too great for the payoff you know like i've also had a cast member that was meant to be ratcheted 20 feet across the room onto a hardwood table and he was like i'll do this like i've done wire work before and i'm like i can't i can't do that with you because there's still that element of risk there. You may want to do it, you may be talented enough to do it, but it's not your job to do it. The job is for the stunt double to do it, just because that risk is still there, that if something goes wrong, on the bottom line level, not only is the actor going to get injured, but it's money for the production, because the longer that cast member's out, the longer they have to pay everyone to put the shoot on hold, until that person's healthy again. It's 100% about the safety of the actor, but it's mm. also about the safety of the stuntman. I wouldn't do something to a stuntman because oh, he's not an actor, he's a stuntman, he can take it. The goal is to not break the stuntman as well. But sometimes the risk is still there that you will. So you kind of have to balance it out. Yeah, when, when we first met, I think it was right around after you'd finished up on San Andreas, and I think you were preparing for uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Now, obviously, the most memorable scene being the one you share with Rebecca Ferguson, where she pins you down and disarms you. N not bad work if you can get it, I guess. Uh, it's a great scene, uh, great work done on that movie. Uh, you've worked with Tom Cruise on a couple of movies now. He seems to really love the stunt work, as Steve mentioned. So I can imagine he really is thorough on wanting to know every aspect of the inner workings of stunts. I mean, when you talk about Tom, you're talking about a different level. He doesn't want to know the aspect of just a particular stunts. Like, Tom knows the aspect of every single thing that happens on set. He's an incredibly focused individual, and his work ethic is second to none. So, uh, you know, when you're directing your focus onto the stunts, yes, 100%. He, he will study whatever the skill is or whatever the risk is or whatever the stunt element is to be shot. The planning and the execution, the preparation, he will be 110% involved in all of that because he just invests himself into everything that he does. 
looking down on IMDb, you're not just a stunt performer, you're a stunt coordinator as well. Could you just explain what the main difference is for people who don't know and uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you tend to look for? What are the, the red flags that you tend to look for when trying to put a stunt together? The difference between the two is when you're a stunt performer, obviously your, your work is in front of camera performing and when you're a stunt coordinator, your work is more behind the camera preparing for the performance of the stunt. Like, um, you know, doing, and that ranges from everything, from breaking the script down and reading what the stunt action elements are and then you devise a plan of how to achieve those elements and then you cast your performers who suit the skills that are going to be required to achieve those elements and then you oversee the whole process of getting it filmed. But what you kind of have to look for is a stunt is deemed like any hazardous action so it can be even mundane stuff like you can be reading a script and two actors argue and one of them pushes the other you're like, oh god that's another day for me to do stunts and you know and then you you read 10 pages down the script and it's like a battle rages with 400 people surrounded by fire and horses and you're like okay that's a bit busier day than just two cast members doing a little bit of argy-bargy. So, you know, once you break down a script and you see what uh, elements of risk are involved, you start to um, identify all the hazards that could present themselves and then you start working out ways to mitigate those hazards. And we, the, the phrase we like to use is calculated risk because, yes, there will always be element of risk involved, but it's a cow where we've sat down, we've actually analysed anything that we could think of that could possibly go wrong and then tried to put redundancies in place or tried to make things more safe and tried to find ways that we can still achieve things that are visually spectacular and we can add to the story and make things more interesting but do that in a safe way because stunt people are, are contrary to what some people think they're not expendable you know we're still people that are everyday Joe's, we've got families and you know no one wants to get broken and everyone wants to go home to their family and be able to hug them without a broken rib. It's just about us trying to mitigate the worst case scenarios and try to see how we can do the best job we can as safely as possible. You know calculated risk sounds like one of those fantastic Van Damme director video movies that would usually come out. That, that is a missing title. Compared to uh, the more Hollywood style that now obviously you're very used to was the original Australian scene approached very differently when it came to stunt work and the kind of preparation involved. What's the major difference between, you know, the smaller Australian stuff that you started off with to now the the huge blockbusters? Is the preparation different? Obviously, time and money is the biggest yeah. difference. I, I was actually talking to someone about it the other day because they were given something here and they had about four days to prep for it and about two people and I said well when they give the answer well this is probably all that you'll be able to do then people are like oh I want it bigger I want it bigger and you're like well really this should have two weeks and eight people to invest into preparing it properly and so time and money are the biggest factors and so you'll end up with um, less people you, on your crew on a very large scale film, the coordinator is far too busy juggling way too many things. You might even have multiple coordinators. So they'll be doing a lot more delegating because they're in a highly managerial position. We're on a really small budget thing back down here in Australia. Like the coordinator might be jumping on a line to pull a performer himself, you know, to operate a stunt rig. So it, that's the biggest thing. It's like how you manage things and how you operate with your crew and your expense. You've had quite the impressive career with, like I said earlier, just an absolute swathe of big budget films. But what would you say has been the most important lesson that you've learned throughout your career? Uh, <laughs> um, there's been lots of lessons that I've learned in my career. Some of them are probably not uh, able to be televised on a podcast. <laughs> but um, I think the the biggest lesson that I've taken on board is humility because I, we work in a, a very high-end skill level field, like we're akin to professional athletes. And 
you know, a professional uh, soccer player or football player, as you guys will say, they would have a different set of skills. They could be Cristiano Ronaldo. But when you go over to something like NFL, you know, they're not going to be a, a Brett Favre or a quarterback that's throwing touchdowns left, right and center because they have a different skill set. And so it's important to realize that no matter how successful you are, there's always other people that are exactly the same. Like no, no one's above anyone else. Like I did pretty well in my field, but I started learning how to ride motorbikes because that was something that was necessary for me in my early career. And uh, there are guys that will outshine me on a motorbike left, right and center a hundred times over. And I appreciate that and I appreciate the skill that everyone brings and everyone's journey is different and it's it's a really humbling experience to be putting so much effort and work into something that you're so focused on and then to see someone who has just trained their focus a little bit differently and they've come up with a total separate outcome but still at an extremely high level like if you sit back and look at other people's journeys and start to appreciate it then it can it can be a really like unique and uh, uplifting experience. So that's been a big lesson. So who who have you been your main inspirations? Um, when I started, uh, I had a very good kind of mentor in the stunt show that I started in, in a guy named Vic Wilson, because he was just a typical Aussie larrikin. He was in the original Mad Maxes. He he had world records for drag car racing you know, he could drive anything. He had a very, very good manner to teach people. He was very, very good at teaching people. I'd never broken traction in a car ever before in my life. And then one day he had me doing stuff I never thought I'd be able to do. And so I think learning under a very down-to-earth person like that kind of really helped me out at my start. And then as I started to work on uh, much more bigger jobs, which is why I relocated to England because the, the industry is much larger over there and I, I wanted to be a part of that. I started to work with really, really inspirational people. To me, they're very inspirational at the top of their game. People like Wade Eastwood, uh, Damon Caro. Damon does a lot of Zack Snyder stuff and when I worked with him on Wonder Woman, his, his eye for detail and just the lessons that I learnt off him about not just stunts but camera work and framing and and just how to make shots look very very interesting those things to me have been priceless like i, I really really appreciate those opportunities i've had to be able to learn from people like that okay soon enough we're about to see the release of fast nine uh even closer probably when this episode airs the reason why people love the fast series is because it's so out there uh, with regards to the stunts, uh, it's, it's like a universal be- stunt show. On, yeah, it's it's become the, the staple of the franchise. You don't tune in for Vin Diesel's acting or lack of. You know, the term jump in the shark is nothing on the Fast series, and that's why we love it. Now, obviously, there's a lot we don't expect to be revealed here because obviously the movie's not been released yet. But is what I want to know is, is there a vibe between the kind of stunt teams on a show this big where they all want the best and most memorable stunt on the show? You know, is there a sense of camaraderie and friendly competition when it comes to kind of the biggest showcase of the year, which is the the Fast franchise? It's it's kind of like when you're working on a on something like that, it's literally work. Like it is fun. Like Fast Nine was one of the one of my best experiences as a team, you know, to date. Like, there's been very few jobs where the entire team has, on, on, on a huge film like that, where you're using lots and lots of stunt guys, um, you know, it had its challenges. But on a whole, that job for me was extremely memorable because of the team. And the thing about that is, yeah, you're working on such a big job where there's a lot of pressure because everyone does expect the action to be so on point. But when every single person that you've got is like just focused on delivering that, you know, no one wants to be the one to drop the ball. So everyone has got the mentality that they're just zoned right in. So it becomes super, super productive and there's no sort of rivalry or anything like that. Most of the guys on the fast stunt team, like the core guys, 
have worked on the previous ones. It was rare for it to have been my first one because most of the guys there have done multiple fasts before and most of the head guys there have done nearly all of them and some guys had done all of them. So it was just about consistently being able to all band together and put your best efforts in and just do something that is really visually spectacular because that's our, our job. Our job is to keep the entertainment. Really good dramatic directors and really good cinematographers will make drama look amazing and keep you engaged. And our focus is slightly different. We have to do the same thing, but physically and visually. You're currently working your way through the Netflix series, The Witcher. What else have you got coming out this year? What, what can we see you dicing with death with at every turn that's due to be released? Um, well, obviously, kind of things all went a bit haywire last year. So um, after Fast 9, I went straight on to The Witcher. And that's been my whole life, basically. I was on that job for about 14 months just because it started up and then uh, England went into lockdown and then, you know, we didn't work for four months and then when the job started back up again, the schedule had to be stretched out to make all the new allowances that we were doing precautionary-wise for COVID, you know, less time shooting on set. and So that's all. That's me, bro. I've got Fast and Furious and Witcher and that was my whole life <laughs> for the last few years. <laughs> Well, we're glad things are kind of getting back to normal and yeah. you're heading back to the UK shortly. Yeah, two days time. That's yeah, hopefully I've definitely. finished editing this by then. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, obviously, uh, big thanks to Nick Shortle for coming along, but we don't just come along to find out who he is. And as we mentioned earlier, this is Partywood Episode 5, Assignment Miami Beach. And of course, Nick has some experience with the Police Academy stunt show that he did. But instead of hearing about Police Academy 5, we want Nick to nominate 5. Now's the time to nominate 5. Nominate 5? Yes, nominate 5. Or 3, or 4, or 6, or 9. Now's the time to nominate 5. I'm so ashamed of that segue. <laughs> I was put on the spot. It's oh, not my best come on. One. It can't have been any worse than my uh, my coughing segue from last week. Yeah, that, that was awful. That was that, dreadful. Y- you own that award. Yeah. So we asked Nick, our stuntman, obviously, with his in-depth knowledge of all of stunt work and stunt moves and stuff like that, to do a Nominate 5 this week centred on the best movie stunts so we're absolutely terrible at doing this nominate five countdown which goes wrong every single week it's become a staple of the show no one has been able to actually do a proper countdown in order from one to five or five to one or whichever way you want to do it it's all like three then four then one then five and then two this week this week we are going to get this right. We're going to count down from five. So, Nick, are you ready? I am ready. Mine were in no particular order. doesn't have to be as... Oh! <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be. It, sod it. Let, wing it. Wing it. So, someone's going to get it one week and really throw us off guard. Right? But we'll just do it in random order, but counting downwards. So, Nick, number five. What have you got for us? Number five, I've got. I'm I'm throwing them quickly into an order, just so you know. So <laughs> you can run with. It's an okay. Order. That's what Number every five. other guest has done. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to think I'm original, but we're all the same. <laughs> okay. Number five is the the barrel of monkey scene from My Man Three. That's where. Uh, oh yes. All the all the civilians fall out the plane, and Iron Man um like gets them all to hold hands, and then lowers them down to safety. And I just thought that that was really cool because it was quite quite complex and like from a stunt coordinator's point of view, hats off to them. That was an awesome job. That is. That's an awesome choice. I never would have thought that. Number four. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's why you asked me. <laughs> um, my number four is the car chase in Bad Boys 2. The super long, ridiculous one where they throw all the cars off the... Brilliant. Off the back yeah. of the car trailer and stuff. That that's just amazing. I love that. I rewatched that um, a month ago, and it's just amazing. I love it. 
they, they practically sold that movie on that entire car chase sequence because it was so trailer heavy uh, and all of the ads on TV focused on this like huge carnage that was going on. And obviously it's it's Michael Bay, so he's the master of creating carnage on screen or Bayhem as it's become known. And he does it well, let's be honest. The thing that I loved about it was that the, the team had like two months and rather than just read a script and go, a hell of a lot of cars get thrown at these cops in a uh, Ferrari, they really spent a lot of time R&Ding different ways to do it. How can we get the cars to twist? How can we get them to flip? How can we get a boat involved? They just tried to do a whole bunch of complex things so that it was interesting. And that's our job is we have to make it entertaining and interesting and keep the audience engaged. And I just thought that was done so well. All right, then. So what is your number three? Number three. Number three is I'm going to do Jackie Chan. And this is just generic Jackie Chan because I'm not going to single out one of his stunts. You know, he's he's the ultimate uh, stuntman inspiration, and he's just done so many amazing things in his career. I think you can just pick it, pick any of his things, and you'll see amazing work in it. So number three is just plainly Jackie. Yeah, that's that's a career. How many movies? How many movies has Jackie Chan kind of oh, got under his his belt God, now? I I honestly can't imagine these. It must be pushing triple digits do you reckon he's got more movies or more injuries i think he's probably broken at least a single bone for each of his films easily easily he's also almost ended himself quite a few times as well which is which is why Mm. it's like man he doesn't shy away from anything now for some reason i'm thinking of that um is it in police story where he just grabs that pole and he just slides down, but there's like bulbs that are going off everywhere, and he's crashing down. For some, that's the first thing that's yeah. popping into my head. But every time I think of Jackie Chan, I think of um, the stunt he did in, I think it was Rumble in the Bronx, which was his kind of reintroduction to American audiences in '95, where he does, considering the amount of work that he has done, this is kind of a really tame stunt in consideration. But he does this jump onto a hovercraft and breaks his ankle and they show it in really painful slow motion in the outtakes at the end and i'm like oh god you know it reminds me of tom recently doing that on mission impossible where he jumps on the side of a building and his entire foot caved in i've just i've just thought of a really interesting uh side note which ties in something from earlier on uh in Jackie Chan's first strike at the end of the film when he jumps the, I'm going to say Ferrari, but I just know it's a red car, and he jumps the car onto the back of the boat. That's actually Vic Wilson, the guy who taught me how to drive a car, uh, or how to drift a car. Vic Wilson did that car jump. Wow. There you go. It all ties in. Seven degrees of Jackie Chan. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so what is your number two? Number two, depending on where you are in the world, you'll either know the film as The Rundown or Welcome to the Jungle. Brilliant. Um, starring one of The Rock's earliest films, yep. Uh, yep. The one where Arnold Schwarzenegger did the cameo to hand over the baton to him at the start of the film. And I'm going to go for The Cliff Tumble, which was done by Tanoi Reed and J.J. Perry. J.J. Uh, also one of the coordinators and second year directors on Fast 9, amazing friend of mine really just all-round awesome dudes one of the best in the business and i just think that this stunt where him and tanawai had to fling themselves down a cliff and just hope for the best somewhere in mexico just stands out because when you when you watch it they've got these massive big wide shots and it's a huge ass cliff and it was just a greet your teeth and do it kind of stunt and when I watched it, I thought, that looks freaking nuts, and I would love to try that. Yeah, I, I, I haven't actually seen the film, but I have seen that um, that actual stunt, and it seems to go on for forever. It's still only half the amount of time yeah. than the Swordfish one, though. Yeah, it's true. That Swordfish hill tumble <laughs> takes up half the movie. Uh, maybe they got a bit gratuitous with that one, then. <laughs> Quite. So, all right, then, what is your number one contender for the best stunt that you've seen? In a movie. Okay, number one contender. Best stunt I have seen in a movie 
goes to triple X where Tim Rigby surfed a car off a bridge and then base jumped off it and landed in a gorge. I think that's freaking awesome. He did himself and hats off to him because that I think is just freaking awesome. I love it. I met Tim on Wonder Woman and I didn't know that it was him that did had done this stunt and obviously I met him when he his uh, base jumping days and he was you know the big boss he was one of the coordinators and he's very polite very quiet very you know you know that he's a good leader he's just a great guy but then it was about after I'd known him for two months that he was telling a story about this day and I was like hang on a sec was that you he's like yeah I'm like that's just freaking ridiculous there's this dude that has got such a calm demeanor and is just so polite and and someone says to him you're good at base jumping do you reckon you could scar off a bridge and get off it safely yeah yeah i can do that where do you want it and just you know line it all up and away we go three two one uh, i just think that it was just freaking amazing so hats off to him i love that stunt so there you have it you have the Number one stunt of all time in Stuntman Nick Shuttle's eyes being the jump from Triple X. Uh, it's a very good choice. Very good choice. So, Nick, uh, is there anything you want to promote at this moment? No, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm not one for sort of plugging work that I've been in. I'm, I mean, I've tried to make it enjoyable. So if you guys get to watch season two of The Witcher... Let me know if you think what you think of it, uh, if you can get a hold of me. But now I'm going to have hundreds of people getting in yeah. contact with me, so maybe don't. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> but um, I hope just, I hope you enjoy it anyway. Yes, just watch it and enjoy it, and accept that I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of hard work went into it, so hopefully the hard work pays off. Yeah. So if if you want to just watch the show, appreciate it in your own way take to social media but uh, you know don't keep haranguing nick with questions such as you know when do we get to see henry cavill with his shirt off again uh when's it coming out or what we get asked mostly what's in the box 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 Nice segue. I'm quite happy with that one, to be honest. You are. You've redeemed yourself for at least one of the two terrible ones you've just done. Yeah, well, they're only going to get worse in the future, so might as well just have the occasional decent one in there every so often. Okay, so what's in the box about? What's in the box is a segment of the show where Andrew, over there, pulls out the name of a film, which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and then he gives it to me and I watched that movie because, as we discussed when this podcast started off, I've seen an awful lot of films, but they all tend to be more along the lines of tentpole movies, big budget action films, and less about the the more thought-provoking films, such as A Mighty Heart that, that we watched this week. So, Andy, yes. put your hand into the box and let me know what I'm going to be watching for next week's episode. Just as a little side note here for you people who actually doubt that there is a box, there is actually a box. And I put one extra movie in whenever I take one out. So this thing is never going to end. I'm pulling out one here. Let's have a look. What do we have? Well, this is going to be an interesting week for you because you've got to talk next week on vaginal dentures. Oh, is this, was it teeth? Tooth. Teeth. Teeth. Yes. Mitchell Lichtenstein's uh, 2007 movie about a uh, vagina with teeth. Oh, great. I'm going to be watching this film cross-legged. I can feel it. Well, just think about it. You've also got to watch it with your girlfriend, which makes it even better. Yeah, she's going to be in hysterics. Yes, I'm sure she will. Yeah. So that's going to that's going to be an interesting what's in the box this week. It's worthy of tuning in. David Zucker is going to be there hearing us talk about fannies. There you go. Yes. Yes, because uh <laughs> next week we have the the one and only David Zucker. 
the writer, director, uh, just producer, just the, 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 one of the minds behind movies such as Airplane, The Naked Gun, Hot Shots. He, he's going to be with us next week. I cannot wait, cannot wait to be interviewing him. Yes, you better hope now there's not a scheduling problem. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to go back and edit this bit out. Yes, exactly. But anyway, um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, absolutely huge thank you to our Australian brother, Nick, over there. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you get back to the UK and blowing some shit up. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yes, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us today, Nick. Uh, so have yourself a safe flight over. We will be back next week, like I said, with an interview with David Zucker. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook forward slash Pottywood. You can follow us on Twitter at Pottywood. We now have the subreddit as r slash Pottywood. And above all, you can get us on patreon.com forward slash Pottywood, where you can get extended versions of these episodes and it's worth it. We yes. talk about some really, really X-rated stuff. <laughs> oh, just permanently. I mean, that story that you were talking about, the llama and the aubergine, oh, there's no way that we can give that away for free. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of people who'd want that aubergine. Not after we went through the typewriter with it anyway. <laughs> oh, you bastard. You made me corpse. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> But that has been uh, that has been enough for us for this week. Thank you once again to Nick. I have been Steve Hester, and I have been in full regret. <laughs> and we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>